I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If this is your first time here in the show, good news, it's a really simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are. And we want to hear about the educators who've inspired you and the educators in your community who deserve a spotlight. The educators we have on this podcast, whether teacher, coach, or professor, are nominated by the folks who listen. So please do be a part of the show. Tell us about the person who comes to your mind and email us with your nominations and your story ideas to teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week on the show, Rachel Metcalf. She's had a really busy few months between, I don't know, getting a master's degree, securing her first full-time teaching job, and finishing up student teaching at her old high school. I loved it. I mean, I was so grateful to do my um, internship there just to be like mentored by the people who taught me English and who had to deal with my essays that I used to write when I was 16. Um, and I apologized to them as soon as I got my first like stack of essays that I had to grade. I went into their uh, the English office and I'm like, I am so sorry for what I put you through because what I'm reading, God help me, God help you. As you can imagine, that brought about a lot of feelings and we talk all about it, connecting with her high school students by showing them old pictures of herself before they can roast you, dad jokes, alligators, possums, lots of good stuff. We also spend time on some really serious issues like how much connecting with those kids has really meant to her and what a hard few months it's been for teachers, especially after the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. We cover a lot of ground. The tone jumps around a little bit between serious and heartwarming and funny, because that's what it's like to be in a classroom with kids every single day. Okay, before my conversation with Rachel, I want to share a quick story first. You might remember a few months back when we covered Rockford Public Schools student code of conduct meetings, where they were looking for community input to change those rules on school discipline. It's one of the three biggest districts in the entire state, so again, it is a really big deal when they say that they want to decrease discipline like suspensions and expulsions that exclude students from their school. But some parents say the district excludes even when they don't have to, leaving them shocked and confused. This spring, Rockford Public Schools approved a new student code of conduct. RPS administrators admit that their current system is overly punitive. Rockford schools are consistently in the top five in Illinois for in-school suspensions, out-of-school suspensions, and expulsions. In two of the last three school years, a Rockford school led the state in expulsions. One of those was Kennedy Middle School. But RPS also often uses a different, lesser-known form of exclusion called expulsion in abeyance, or EIA. That's where the district recommends an expulsion after an incident, but the student signs an agreement that sends them to an adaptive learning site for anywhere from a few months to two years. After that, the student may come back to their home school and get the expulsion removed from their record. Jennifer Lawrence is RPS Director of Student Services, and she says that data on EIAs is hard to find. The state doesn't count them. So, so when you look at state data for in-school, out-of-school suspensions and expulsions, EIAs don't fall in that category. So, for example, like we've had 83 in one year, 62 in another year expulsions, and we're looking at many more EIAs than that. Lawrence estimates that the district hands out around 250 discipline-related expulsions and abeyance per year. While it doesn't count all EIAs, there is a state metric for, quote, removals to alternative settings in lieu of another disciplinary action. Last year, the top five schools in that category were all RPS. 
Some parents, like Simone Ariri, say the district sends kids away from their school, their friends and teachers, too much. It happened to her 14-year-old daughter earlier this year. Simone's daughter smoked marijuana on the edge of school grounds and had an adverse reaction and staff needed to call an ambulance. Ariri says she had no other major disciplinary incidents on her record before then, but nevertheless, Guilford High School pursued an expulsion in abeyance. School districts don't have to expel students for incidents involving drugs. Morgan Gallagher is RPS's chief of schools, and he says it's pretty common in the district. A great many of our students that get put out of their home schools on an EIA, it would be for having a vape on them. Pushing that kid out of school, who is often a student that is on track and doing well in school, to kick them out where we're not owning their education anymore and outsourcing it really doesn't do anything to repair the harm that was done. Illinois school discipline laws and regulations state that removals to alternative schools should be used, quote, only if other appropriate and available behavioral and disciplinary interventions have been exhausted, and if the student's presence poses a safety threat or would disrupt the operation of the school. Ariri says her daughter's incident doesn't come close to meeting that standard, nor did the district provide any of those interventions before jumping to exclusion. They're required to do various reparative strategies, and they don't. What they do do is on the actual, like the referral, they have a section for corrective strategies. Now, all this stuff that they're supposed to do, they, they list it all for the same day. When Ariri questioned administrators, something weird happened. She says the school added more incidents to her daughter's file. Like my daughter was in elementary school, first, second, third grade. Incidents where she was littering on the bus. She didn't keep the aisle clear or something like stuff that I was never notified about. Eventually, her daughter was given an EIA agreement and sent to Roosevelt Community Education Center, which is one of three adaptive learning sites RPS can send its students to, also including Summit Academy and the Innovative Learning Center. After everything, Ariri says her daughter has no interest in returning to Guilford. Gallagher at RPS says that Roosevelt is the only adaptive learning site that is actually part of the school district. And he says they're working on sending more students there and fewer to the other sites. When we have our kids at Roosevelt, they are more successful in attendance, more successful in credit attainment, more successful in not having behavior incidents than when we outsource them. He also says RPS is progressive when it comes to EIAs and expulsions because they pay for alternative education when legally they don't have to. Even though the district has a new student code of conduct, Ariri says she's not confident it'll make a difference. She'd like to see the hearing and appeals process for EIAs made more clear for parents trying to advocate for their kids. And she says the only way things will change is if administrators are held accountable. Okay, now it is time for my conversation with the delightful and wickedly funny Rachel Metcalf as she talks us through student teaching at her alma mater, West Aurora High School in Aurora. It was possibly the strangest thing. I loved it. I mean, I was so grateful to do my um, internship there just to be like mentored by the people who taught me English and who had to deal with my essays that I used to write when I was 16. Um, and I apologized to them as soon as I got my first like stack of essays that I had to grade. I went into their uh, the English office and I'm like, I am so sorry for what I put you through because what I'm reading, God help me, God help you. <laughs> so, I mean, it, I, I could not be more grateful for the opportunity that I had teaching at my old high school. Have you run into students now where you like look in there and it's like looking in a mirror and you're like, oh my God, there's 14 year old Rachel? Yeah, 
Um, yes, I had a few of those and it was uncanny. Um, they're like, you don't understand my life, miss. You don't get it. I'm like, no, I do. I get it exactly to the T, except I didn't have a smartphone in high school. That's like the only difference, only difference. What is it like, with, like hanging out with the kids? I feel like like the, the, the Gen Z, we, they get a bad rap. They do. Um, I am that weird cusp millennial Gen Z, whatever the 96, 97 era is. Yeah, so I, I kind of feel like an imposter because I don't know which place I belong to. But I will say that Gen Z by far is my favorite generation because they do not care what other people think about them. They don't. Right, um, and we, yeah. our generation, we say that, but it's only to <laughs> tamp down our right. deep-seated insecurity right. about like, what anyone could possibly think about us. <laughs> right, I was like, oh my gosh, no, but they are, they are 100%, um, they will do what they want, and almost to a fault, sometimes to a fault, um, but they let you know um, who they are right away. They have no like, oh, I'm going to pretend to be this person so I can fit in. They're like, I'm coming to school and I shaved my head and what are you going to do about it? I'm like, absolutely nothing, nothing. Um, they're fantastic. I love them. I know. I think about all the people that were like in my high school and like deep, like in the, in Sandwich, Illinois, that were like bold enough to do that in like 2010. And I'm like, oh my God, I, as I aspire to that level of confidence. But you're right. It's, it's weird. Like as someone that was born in 1996, but like I lived, like my backyard was a cornfield. So I like, I feel like my experience almost relates more to someone that's like 40, where it's like, <laughs> we had like those like 20 pound laptops in high school that we yeah. were using that were like pushed in with a cart. Art. And like the the internet, we could only use if we had a clear view of the Southern sky. Like <laughs> on a ridiculous. full moon. Exactly. Right. They they um definitely freak out when I tell them that I didn't have a Chromebook in school. I had to take notes with the pen and paper and they're like, what? So I would print out all my lessons on, not all of them, but all the worksheets on paper and make them do it on paper so they can have that like memory, genetic memory. And they're like, I hate this. This is so old. And I just... <laughs> paper is old now, by the way, that's not in style. Um, so if you're using a pencil and paper, guys, stop. You're not cool. Um, if you're listening right now, if there's someone out there that's taking notes to this podcast, like, by the way, like I, I want to meet you, but like, throw it away, throw it into a ravine. You Fresh don't need it. a pencil anymore. You don't need it. That's wild. Yeah. I, I told so, I, we, a couple episodes ago, we, I interviewed a, um, a senior in high school and a girl that was in seventh grade. And I told them that I, I told them that I got a smartphone for the first time when I was a freshman in college, mm -hmm. and they laughed in my face. Rachel, <laughs> it was hilarious. Mean, they will roast you for everything. Um, but I, they will. Like I brought in my Motorola Razor, like a baby pink one, and I showed them. Like I actually had to touch buttons to text, and they're like, "But there's only like nine buttons, Miss." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, you're right." You're you had the pink okay. razor. It's called T9 text and maybe we'll get into it someday. But the, the, the pink razor was like the coolest phone in it 2010. Was. It was, it was a status symbol for sure. Um, <laughs> wherever I go, even if I wasn't calling someone, I would have it like up to my head. I'm like, sorry, can't talk right now on my LG Motorola razor. Can I tell you that my grandmother got her first cell phone and it was a pink Motorola Razor and like I would pretend to use it when I was like at a restaurant with her when I was like 12. <laughs> Who are you, Peter? <laughs> I was like, I, 
I want to be I want to be able to end a phone call just by snapping it the best it was very sassy it was a very sassy like I'm done with you and now you have to like turn it off like that it's not as fun not nearly as fun there's not even a button anymore right terrible (laughs) so you're back you got to spend what like the last couple months back in your old high school yeah so I did my student teaching um over at West Aurora which is my old high school yeah go Blackhawks um so I was lucky enough to do that I started in January I finished up in May and then from May to the end of the school year I was substitute teaching over in another district um but I was uh fortunate is the word I want to use to be able to be around such a different demographic of kids um than what you know most people consider normal i don't know what that means but i guess with like covid and everything um demographics from race gender um orientations just likes dislikes everything i had a whole like melting pot of it in my room so i was uh humbled almost like I get a kind of emotional thinking about how just amazing these kids are and how like I'm 25 I am just so excited to see what they become um because I know I mean I was in that school in the same classroom I taught in the same classroom that like I was in when I was a kid it was so surreal um but I'm so excited to see them in 10 years because it's been 10 years since I was in that classroom and I have changed dramatically I like to tell myself, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, same. The, the same classroom part is is the one where you're like that had to be a lot of emotions. It was, um, yeah. So my teacher was actually my cooperating teacher was actually my director when I was in plays in high school. So she had a picture of me in one of the cast pictures in the back from you know 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the back. So I'd walk into that classroom and I would see me every day. Um, and it was, it was emotional because I think back to like when I was in high school and I wasn't confident or I wasn't, I didn't know who I was. No one did. No one knows who they are in high school. No. Um, so, I wasn't even good at pretending like it. <laughs> <laughs> Neither. I like to think I was, but I know I wasn't. No. But I mean, I just, I went in there every day and like, I would look at where I would sit I would look at everything. And it was just so, so surreal. Um, like you just want to go back and like shake yourself and be like, Hey, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. And you're going to do things with your life. Your life's not going to end at 16 because he won't text you back. He won't call you back. Like you're fine. Everything's good. But, um, he won't I, text I, you back on the Motorola razor. Right. He's not <laughs> looking up his little slide and texting you back. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, we, right before spring break, we actually did an activity with, my students and I did that cliche put a line of tape down the middle of the classroom you know the, you know the one and we're, we were reading To Kill a Mockingbird we were starting that up after break and it's a very very heavy book and it has a lot of topics and I know in the classroom there were some there was beef happening like I don't know how else to put it and yeah. I was like you know what we need to squash this we're not going into this book where we're all going to have to be vulnerable with ourselves without being able to like be a part of this family. So I would, you know, go with them, like step forward. If you or a friend or a loved one have experienced so-and-so and so, and I would appropriately share what my experience and just being vulnerable with these kids, explaining to them how I was in high school, showing them pictures of me when I was in high school, they were like, they could not 
fathom the fact that an adult was being emotionally honest with them and they like it blew their brains out of their head that like wow this this person which i don't even consider myself an adult i'm an imposter um (laughs) this adult is everyone if you're listening keep it a secret (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i just told someone i was 19 the other day i haven't been 19 in six years um it's fine but they they would they came up to me after class and they're like you know hey miss like i I've never had a teacher actually sit and tell me they're proud of me or that they love me and mean it. And like, I was like, oh, well, like, yeah, I do. And I'm like trying not to like start sobbing in front of these kids, but like, that's what they need. They need someone to tell them that they love them. And like, that's such like, it's so weird the way that in like situations like that, that like the idea of professionalism is somehow like gets in the way of just being emotionally honest with people. We think that like we can't be vulnerable and also like wear a tie or something, which is the stupidest (laughs) thing in the world. But you're right. Like I think about this, I mean like, like what you said and with, you know, seeing kids that remind you of you of a certain age, like obviously like I interview a lot of teachers on this show and, and just like in my reporting. And I like, of course, it makes me think of like what my own experience was and like the kind of teachers that I had, the kind of teachers that I would have wanted in retrospect. And I'm sure like, again, like literally seeing a picture of yourself and literally being in that same classroom is like, I'm sure like it's hard not to be like, you know, I, I, I need to try to be the teacher that I would have needed at that point. Right. Yeah. I just, it is. That's exactly what, kids need though I, I feel like there's a disconnect between like what you think a teacher is and what a teacher needs to be people think that like you need to be a teacher you need to teach them the content you need to get them to learn Macbeth you need to get them to learn sentence syntax that is not it ever ever I told my kids and I mean if this gets to my district I'm sorry um but I tell my kids I'm like listen you come first you will always come first your mental health your emotional health will always come first and then our class if we have to stop and we have to push things back to get us into a place where we are okay I will I do not care I'm like I needed that when I was younger and I want to be able to give you that. So you're not, you know, in 10 years having this perfectionist mindset where, oh my God, I have to get an A. I have to get this project done for work on time or earlier, or I'm going to self-destruct because that's not healthy. Like that's not, that's not healthy at all. And people forget that. Like, I know I had to stop, breathe and remind myself, I am teaching children. I am teaching kids that are 14. I have had a decade plus experience being alive longer than they have. Like I am a professional at what I do. They have never seen this book ever in their lives. They've never learned about what a like pejorative is. I can get mad at them for that. And it's, it's just a lot of patience that you need to have and a lot of um, being able to step back and remind yourself that you're learning too. Like you never stop learning. Yeah, I think that thankfully, at least over the last like maybe three or four years, the conversations that people have about things like social emotional learning have not have like shifted. Like, first of all, we just like only started talking about it a few years ago. But then it like the conversation shifts from like, oh, this should be something that you also include in your should also be something that teachers know about something that teachers practice to like oh, this is like a foundation that you have to start with before you want to get into any of that content stuff. And I don't know if you know, but my uh, my mom is a teacher mm-hmm. and my stepmom is a teacher. 
lot of my family. It tends to happen, I'm sure, and I'm sure you've got some teachers in your family too. Um, but one of the things that I, I think that my mom said, I hope that I'm like not like, this is like a quote that like Benjamin Franklin said that I'm going to attribute to my mom now. <laughs> but like, uh, I, I just something like, I think that she said something to the effect of, especially when you're being a teacher, that people won't really remember the things that they learned in your class, but they will always remember the way that you made them feel. Yeah, I I think that if your mom did say that, <laughs> she is correct. And I, I look back at teachers I've had, and I can't tell you what I learned in my junior year English class, but I can tell you that my junior year English teacher pulled me outside and sat with me while I cried. Yeah. And I will never like forget that. And I will always love him for that because like I needed someone there for me. I couldn't tell you a thing about the crucible, but I can tell you about teachers that care about me. So, I mean, that at the end of the day, I mean, you, none of us are going to live forever. Um, and the mark you want to leave on the world, is it that you taught a book really well, or is it that you made a kid feel like they were worth something? Yeah, I had to read Huck Finn twice in school, Rachel. I had two separate occasions at two different levels. In high school and in college, I don't remember it at all. You today. shouldn't. It's not a good book. It's not good. Also, that's just like a separate way that I can call them out for being like, why was that so essential? We did that twice? Nope. We did that twice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bad book. Mark Twain didn't know what he was doing. Not a great book. It shouldn't be shocking. It was the 1800s, right? I mean, we shouldn't be shocked that he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, obviously, a big part of being a teacher, and I'm sure you've gotten a huge taste of this just over the last couple months, is also the way that the kids make you feel. <laughs> and I, I believe I saw one of the kids made you and like crocheted you like an opossum, right? Oh my gosh. Okay, hold on. Let me go grab this. Do, Do you have it? One second. Yeah. So, um,. Yes, that's big too. That is way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Boy, it is big. Um, <laughs> As they all should be. <laughs> I had mentioned to her that I love possums, and um, I had given up my my lunch break and my my planning period to sit with this girl because she was struggling with like everything under the sun. And I get it because I also struggled with everything under the sun when I was a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. And so when you ask me like, Rachel, hey, do you see any of yourselves in your kid? Yes, the girl who crocheted me this costume <laughs> is a replica of who I was when I was 14 and it's terrifying. I say um, beautiful and also terrifying. <laughs> terrifying, but she, um, she had mentioned to me, she's like, hey, I just, um, you like possums, right? And I'm like, yeah. And then one day she came to school with this seven pounds, like it's, it's heavy. Like there's weight inside this seven pounds crocheted opossum. And she named it George, George opossum. He's Irish. Um, and I'm like, I just, I started like tearing up. Like who does this? Like, I mean, like in a good way, like I cannot believe that you took the amount of time you did to make this as like, Hey, thanks for like listening. Like you don't have to thank me. This is what I do. Like, this is why I went into teaching. But on my last day of um, student teaching, I, I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life. And kids just kept bringing me things. Like I had a girl draw me on the front of um, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Like she wrote me a whole thing. And like, this was just like one of them, like all the kids signed a book, writing really nice things to me, just saying how much I mean to them. And 
I don't even remember half of the things that I've said to them, but they did. And like, that's like how, you know, you got into the right field. It's like, Talk I don't about great power comes great responsibility, right? Like the, exactly. you don't even remember the things that I you said. I am man of the classroom. I have way too much responsibility. You are their uncle Ben's. <laughs> Except for the That's one that tragic. survives, <laughs> the Aunt May. I don't, I don't know. Thanks for that. There you, go. Um, you know what? You're right. You get to be Spider-Man. Thank you, because I really. Oh God. I mean, I can't even joke about dying in a classroom now with everything happening in this. Oh Jesus. Yeah. 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 It's like we said. It's been a very heavy couple of weeks. So I'm at least glad that it's the summer now. At least that you could take a little time to recoup, to decompress, recoup. Yeah. But again, just with the opossum, like if anyone's worried about the kids and just like generally go back and listen to like those two minutes of you describing those kids making you that and drawing your picture on that. And they're like, the kids are good. The kids are going to be okay. They're all right. The kids are all right. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, the everything else that's happened in the last you know, three weeks, or I, I can't imagine how, again, I've had these conversations with a few different teachers now and it's beyond horrifying and upsetting that it even has to be a conversation that we have on a show like this. I don't know if you did this living in a cornfield and sandwich, but I didn't have my very first, which is so upsetting to say this. Hold on. Let me think of this before like I get upset. My very first lockdown drill until I was in high school. Same. I, and it was like my later years. It wasn't early. It was, Oh, by the way, this is what happens if like some, there's an intruder. It was always called an intruder. It was never yeah. called anything else. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, ha, 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 Like, this won't happen. And then, like, Sandy Hook happened. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's that's just an outlier. Like, that doesn't happen here. Um, and then it does. And then it does. And um, I remember last year I was subbing in a district, and I was subbing on the day that they had a lockdown drill. And I was, the, it was my very first time being a teacher in that scenario. And I knew it was a drill, but like the adrenaline that ran through me and like the, like it was terrifying. It was terrifying. And then this past semester when I was student teaching, just in, out of the blue, we were, we weren't even discussing anything. The tragedy in Texas had not even occurred yet. And this girl raises her hand and goes, miss, what do we do when there's a school shooting? Now, when, yeah, when, not if when and I looked at her and I said honey let's not worry about that right now she goes but there's so many windows she goes can you just go outside and check and then I'm like will it make you feel better and she's like yeah and so I went outside and I looked through the windows and I had to come back in and I had to tell them if we ever had to do this every single one of you all 28 of you need to cram yourselves into that corner because I can see everyone right now. And like the shock on their face, the worry on their face. And I'm like, I don't wanna do this right now. Like I, I don't. And this is, and I'm sure the other teachers you've interviewed have said the same thing, but every teacher, no matter where they are, what classroom they're in, what building they're in, they always look for an escape route and how to barricade themselves into a classroom. And that should not be the case. I should not have to worry about how many students I would save jumping in front of a door. I interviewed a, a girl, like, again, I think that she was in eighth grade a couple days ago. And she was like, it was at one of the you know, March for Our Lives rallies. Yeah. And 
she was just rolling her eyes thinking about these lockdown drills and about how like this girl that's like you know in eighth grade like 70 pounds or something they're telling her that she needs to throw books at a shooter and she goes she Rachel she goes you know I think that I've got a pretty good arm but I don't really think that that's going to do much good against an AR-15 and I'm like Jesus Christ and it's a nightmare and I, yeah you're right I, I think it's it's beyond the worst thing that you could possibly think of and you're right I, I think that I our first ones that we had to do were we were in high school and it was a sandwich we were I was learning Spanish in a trailer in the back of the school like your single point of entry is not going to do it. <laughs> like we're literally outside yeah. in a converted trailer right now that I could probably just like punch through the siding <laughs> of punch through the wall of it. So what are we even talking about? But yeah, I, I until you talk to teachers and until you talk to students about this, it's really hard to have a perspective about all of this stuff. And every, I shouldn't say every, almost every teacher would tell you right away that they would do anything for their students, including just, you know, you can finish the sentence. Right, which is not also, again, I feel like I have to qualify this statement that like, you're right, pretty much everyone that you'll talk to will say that, won't even think twice, won't even blink to do that. But also, that's not what this job is supposed to be. You did not sign up to, to do that. I didn't. I also didn't sign up to be a therapist or a psychologist or um, a mom, but I am all of those too. I might as well just add like martyr slash security guard to the list at this point. Um, might as well. <laughs> um, but like, and I say that begrudgingly because I, I hate the fact that I have to go into my classroom and think about these things. Not the fact that I hate that I would have to do it for my kids. Like, I don't want that to be confused. Um, like I, like I said, I would do anything for them, but I shouldn't have to. And the fact that um, the narrative goes from saying that teachers are incompetent to teachers need to have all of the responsibility in the classroom, the, the flipping and flopping of that is driving me insane. And I'm like, please just pick something and stick with it. If you want me to be incompetent, I will be, but like, tell me so I can, I can like lower my standards for you. Can um, we trust you with picking out uh, the books that we read? And can we also trust you with firearms? Yeah. Here's this pistol, but don't, don't teach my kids about frog and toad because they might be gay. <laughs> like, oh, okay, cool. Won't do that, but I will have this gun. Um, it's insane, Peter. It's insane. Yeah. And again, like it's, it's something that's ridiculous that has to be a part of this, but also it is a part of this. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of negligent to not talk about this as a part of the teacher experience because it is a part of the teacher experience. Yeah, it is. And um, the teacher experience is, it's a lot of fun to say that phrase because every teacher has this very different experience. Um, like by the second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the second, um, everyone's teaching experience is different. Like right now I'm teaching a summer school for um, special education and it is vastly different from what I do during the school year. But like my experience right now is having a kid fall asleep on me for two hours and making sure he's comfortable versus my experience in the classroom, which is making sure that my kids are making appropriate jokes when it comes to Shakespeare and that I'm not going to get fired because I accidentally explained to them Shakespeare. What else is Hamlet for, if not for inappropriate jokes though, right? <laughs> truly, truly, I know. 
I feel like it, it's wild that we, we've, we've gotten this far and we've touched so many things without mentioning that you're also going into education, like going into the classroom for the first time during a pandemic and also you know, during a pretty historic teacher shortage. Like there's a lot, a lot going on. So I guess the, the question in that broad statement about how hard it is to be a teacher is like when you were starting off and when you first got in student teaching in, in January, I assume, was it overwhelming? How did they kind of help you get acclimated to everything? So I was lucky enough to substitute before I started student oh, teaching. Good. So I was able to like know what a classroom was like supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that very, very delicately because substitute teaching is wildly different from having your own classroom. Um, but I knew that like students had this kind of like humor about them where they wanted to make you sad with everything they said. Um, but that's just Gen Z humor. Like you can't take it personally. If you do take it personally, you should not be a teacher. Um, but I, the first, my first day in January, I had this kid who I love dearly, absolutely roast me. Um, like I walked into the classroom and I laughed and he just made fun of my laugh for about 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And there were days where I'm like, I, I can't do this. And I was so close to just leaving. Um, because it, the stress of the COVID stuff, the stress of, um, the teacher shortage, this just the internalized stress of being a master's student during all of this chaos that is, um, COVID pre post during, I don't know where we are anymore. I don't know where I am anymore, Um, (laughs) but, um, I don't know. I mean, I had tons of support from my English team. So like, I, I cannot thank them enough for what they did for me, for shaking me back into my, my pants, my shoes. And like, you're not leaving. You're not leaving. You're a good teacher. You're just stressed and welcome to teaching. Like if you can't (laughs) handle this now, you should leave. But if you think you can, you should stay. I think the thing that says it all is that you were able to get from, you know, being mocked on that first day to showing a picture of yourself, let alone an old picture of yourself to a group of high schoolers. That's the most dangerous thing you could possibly do to get roasted. I actually showed them that picture three days after I started. So I, oh I, I got roasted and then, you know, I'm like, you know what, at this point, like I might as well just jump in head first. Like there's no feet first. There's no nothing. Like I'm diving into the shallow end of the pool because they're going to find it. They are good at finding things. They're going to find something. They're going to go to the library for once and find the old yearbook and find me with the huge, like black glasses and a bad eyeliner. Like might as well just show it to them. So I did. And then that's when they started respecting me more, actually, weirdly enough. Like if I'm self-deprecating, what do I have to lose? Like I'm already exactly. my worst enemy. Like you can't be my worst enemy. <laughs> So, They've seen you with uh, your My Chemical Romance t-shirts. <laughs> yep, they saw everything. <laughs> At least I always think about that, and I'm like, gosh, I should. If I ever did anything like that, I'd have to make my Facebook just at least hard to find, right? Like, <laughs> private. My Facebook isn't even my real name anymore. I'm like, you have pushed me to the edge. I was like, my first Facebook profile picture in 2009 was a platypus. Like, I don't they. <laughs> I'm terrified of what they'd find over there. The pictures of me wearing a pink t-shirt that the caption is just pink, LOL. I don't know what that was. I don't know what I was thinking, but they would find it in 30 seconds. They do. They do find it. They're like, miss, is this you? And they'll hold up their Chromebooks and it's like me from my junior year in like some horrible Hollister outfit. And I'm like, 
yeah, where did you find that? And they're like, um, your old Twitter on like the Wayback Machine or something like that. I'm like, I hate the internet somehow. <laughs> like, hmm, thanks a lot, Bill Gates, for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you have to go into teaching with a great sense of humor because these kids will find anything any crack in your armor and they will just twist the knife into it and if you can't laugh at yourself and you can't joke with these kids and like fire it back at them appropriately yeah. appropriately yes um they will bury you <laughs> they will they will slaughter you they will end your life they will they don't they will eat you alive and you it's eat or be eaten in the classroom <laughs> and so i'm like you know what yeah i had pink hair i wore my knee-high knockoff converse what are you going to do about it Nothing that my mom didn't already make fun of me for. Go off. Go ahead. You know, it's funny is that I always appreciate that I, you know, I have a very different dynamic with students when I go in the classroom as, as a journalist because they think like, it's, a, it's, it's out of the ordinary. Like it's something interesting is happening when I'm there. And so like I, which is hilarious, by the way, because they, they think that I'm cool or something, which I'm totally not. <laughs> um, but like the other day I went into an eighth grade classroom and Within 10 seconds of me standing in it, like with this group of kids, one of them's like, I need to tell you a joke right now. And, I, and I'm like, okay, hit me. What, what, what have you got? And I want to tell you a joke that an eighth grader just told me. Please, please do. This, again, I've been in this classroom for all of 12 seconds, and he has just raised his hand and yelled this out. Um, what, do you, what do houses eat when they have bad breath? What? apartments and i'm like that's all you've got right now that's what that's that was it you've been waiting all day for apartments and i was like that was it's actually really good though <laughs> it's pretty clever and i was like you just i i again i applaud it 10 seconds of knowing sony was like i've got to get this apartments gag going i i and kids are like kids are the best they are i would threaten them with dad jokes that was always my threat i'm like if you do not calm down i'm going to tell you a dad joke so i'm going to tell you the best dad joke you're ever going to hear. And I would tell this to every class I substitute taught in to the point where they recognized me from this joke when I would walk in. Okay. Oh my gosh. You need more than one brain cell to get this joke. So I'm so sorry. Um, if you don't get this joke, you'll out yourself as having one brain cell. Okay. Did you Hasn't know? It's happened before. <laughs> did you know that an American alligator can grow up to 14 feet, but most only grow four? Oh, oh, that is pretty good. It is good. That is pretty good. So they would call me the alligator lady. That's a great, that's honestly, that's a great nickname though. It's pretty great. It is pretty great. So then they would come up to me with these alligator jokes the next time I would see them, like different alligator jokes. So now in my repertoire, I have probably about 50 alligator jokes ready to go at any time. Again, totally thought what was going to happen when you go into teaching is that you were going to have an arsenal of alligator-related material. No, I know. <laughs> That's what I spent my money on was alligator material for my stand-up comedy routine in my sixth grade classroom. Did they not cover that in your master's program, the yes, alligator No, things? I mean, I paid enough money. I might as well have gotten an alligator. Like They could have at least put one on your diploma. I know, but they didn't. Shocking. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to tell that to the next time I go He's into good. a middle school classroom. They're definitely going to get the alligator gags. Please do. <laughs> okay, so you go back in and you have this, this this group of teachers helping you, and some of which I assume you said your director was still there. So like, 
you have some teachers that you remember from from oh, there. Gosh, yeah, like all of them are there. It was terrifying. Jeez. Well, it was like, I guess maybe you already said it and they were like, you're a good teacher. You're just stressed out. I was curious, like, did you have any good pieces of advice that put you at ease right away where you're like, okay, I at least know that I'm in the right place. I'm on the right track. Yes. So one day, probably about a month and a half into te- like student teaching, a kid just said something. And I think it was because I wasn't sleeping because I was so tired and just stressed out from everything else that I just started crying. Like, obviously not in front of the kids. Like, but when I was done with the class, I walked into the English office and just started sobbing. <laughs> like, they're so mean. And my cooperating <laughs> teacher sat me down and uh, God bless her. But she, um, she explained to me that she was in the exact same situation and that she, she like leaned in and she goes, you're going to cry a lot. You're going to cry a lot. And that was the advice I got but it was good advice because it made me feel like I wasn't like crazy for crying. Like I, I'm not, I'm not insane. I mean, I am, but like, it's not insane for me to cry, um, for being stressed out. Like it's going to happen. You just have to be able to roll with it. And my, in a weird turn of events that should not have happened. My best friend who I have matching tattoos with was my other cooperating teacher. What? Yeah, I know. Crazy. Um, so she, um, she pulled me aside one day when I was having one of my, one of my days. And she just basically gave me the strictest, the most direct, abrasive and assertive pep talk, basically saying, get your bleep together. Um, you're not quitting. I'm not letting you. And she's like, they're going to, they're going to say things. And this was not even about students. This was just about other things that were happening in the school. They're going to say things and you can either let that affect you or you can just breathe. And I'm like, I don't like breathing. I have an inhaler. And then she's like, (laughs) breathe. And I'm like, and then she was, she just walked away. She just walked away. She's like, Rachel, I'm going to give you some space. Okay. Okay. And it worked. I mean, you can't, you can't go in and you cannot tell a new teacher like, Hey, it'll be so much easier. Like it won't be, it will never be easier. You just know how to cope with it better. You know how to roll with it. Like at the same situations, the same struggles are going to happen, but you learn how to cope with them better. And that is what she told me. And I was like, okay, cool. That is my only piece of information or like advice that I got besides the fact that they said, make sure that you always have a bottle of water with you so you don't get dehydrated. Those are my two pieces of advice that stuck with me um, because they told me like, your curriculum is always gonna change. The people you work with are always gonna change. Like, don't get comfortable with the routine because it's not gonna stay the same. Just stay hydrated and breathe. And for any teachers watching, stay hydrated and breathe. (laughs) That's what you need to do. Right, it turns out that the advice for teaching is very similar to like running an ultra marathon where it's like, you're gonna cry, but stay hydrated and we'll get through this together. (laughs) You might have an accident, but you will get through it. Like that's marathon running, teaching. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Peter. It is the same thing. And we'll Um, order pizza if things go well. Yeah, Uh, you'll have a carb crash at the end of the day. You will eat an entire pizza when you get home. That's on the docket. Yeah. Every day. 
Okay, so I <laughs> I feel like this is a perfect segue to one of the last questions I wanted to ask you, which is, again, you've had some of these teachers, a lot of them are the same people that you had when you were um, a student. And one of the last questions we always ask on this show is, you know, that obviously a lot of teachers that we have on are teachers because at some point in their education journey, they had a teacher that, you know, inspired them, helped them become the people that they are today, are one of the reasons that they wanted to go into us or even thought this was an option in the first place. Are there, is there anyone that comes to your mind when we say that of people from your education experience? Um, there's so many. There's... I mean, I could list my second grade teacher who I invited to my master's graduation because he's shout always- Shout her out, shout her out. His name is Mr. Vance Like, fantastic. I can shout out all my teachers, uh, Ms. Prisky, Ms. Polly, Mr. Ruffalo, all of them. I can shout out my best friend, Ms. Becker. Um, yeah, who's apparently like an NFL coach when it comes to getting like stern pep talks. <laughs> yeah, she knocked me back into place. Um, I can, I, I'm fortunate enough that I had so many great teachers along my way that there was no one, well, shouldn't say that. There was hardly anyone that made me think like, wow, teachers are not nice. But I think the one teacher that I will give a shout out to, um, because I guess I have to, no, I'm kidding, is my mom. She is a teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. And she actually went back into teaching after she had me, um, many years after she graduated from her undergrad, she went back to school to become a teacher because that's what she wanted to do. And she was um, always adamant to say that her students came first. And I was jealous of her students sometime because she, not first from me, but like students come first in her day at her job. And to often after school too. <laughs> right. Well, she actually, we actually adopted one of her students for a while, like to live with us. Like that's how much she cared about her students. Um, but she told me, she was Rachel, do not go into teaching because you were going in it for the kids. But there's so, there's so many things. There's so many things that you don't, you don't want to deal with. And she always told me, don't go into it. Don't go into it. And then when I graduated she told me that she was testing me. She's like, I know you're going to be a great teacher. And I mean, she taught me everything I know. And I could not be more thankful for my mom. So Lisa Knight, who teaches in Georgia, you're the best teacher I've ever had. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should be in some kind of group of like children of elementary school teachers. <laughs> children of elementary are... school teachers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we just only have <laughs> anecdotes of t- kids that they had 20 years ago and stories about them like doing something goofy. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, last question which is something, again, one, the one we end everyone on, which is what's just something about teaching that you wish more people knew about? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to be so cliche for a second, and that's fine with me. Do like, it. My persona. We've already had a dad joke. You might as well <laughs> drop a cliche, too. Fantastic. I wish more people realized that people who go into teaching – at least nowadays, they don't do it for the summers off. They don't do it for the salary. Because if you know anything about teaching, the money's not there. Um, they go in it because they they don't even want to make a difference, per se. They just want to love. They want to be able to love. And that's why I went in. I went in because I have so much love to give to these kids that maybe they don't get other places. They don't get, like I said, they don't get told that they're loved or that they're proud of them. And I would end every single class period for four months with, I love you and I'm proud of you. And that's why I wanted to teach 
teaching. That's what people need to know about teaching is that we, we just care so much about these kids. And when you see us fighting for things, um, it's because we love them. It's not because we like to cause chaos. I mean, I also love to cause chaos, but- <laughs> So that's unrelated chaos. It's unrelated <laughs> completely. I love my kids. I'll always love them. 15 years from now, I'll see them in a Jewel Osco and I will freak out and I will hug them and not let go of them because they are my kids. I am a weird 25 year old mom with 180 children out there running about making mischief. And I am so proud of every single one of them. I think that's, I feel like we need to give you a round of applause <laughs> after, oh, after the last couple months. That, after, and this is just for all teachers too. So you can join in. Yeah, for all teachers, you. We did it. We're doing it. We're doing the thing. Still currently doing it. We'll do it again. You will cry again, but you know what to expect. You know what you're getting into. Drink some water. Drink some water. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing to do this, Rachel. This is, this it was awesome. Peter. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get really great guests like Rachel. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing the podcast, please do subscribe or leave us a rating, share with your friends. Whatever you can do to help share it to new people really is the best way to get even more perspectives, even more awesome educators on the show. Also, please do subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter if you want to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that on this episode's webpage over at WNIJ.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the music you hear every single episode. Kind Ofs is spelled like sweet and nice birds, K-I-N-D-O-V-E-S. And a thank you to Spencer Tripp for our Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. We'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. Thanks so much for joining us.